0: I think we've passed peak Martech. We have more than 10,000 Martech companies. If every company has five really killer solutions or features, that's 50,000 features. So if we've passed peak Martech, then I think it's a sign of maturity of the stack of the future it's been made. And people need to think about something more forward-leaning. And that land grab to me is the metaverse. Hey, it's Dan McGaugh. I'm a tech
1: stack nerd and the CEO of the leading tech stack management firm, McGaugh.io. Every week, I speak to executives to find out the stack they're using to drive revenue and make their goals a reality. This week, I've got Eric Newton. Eric has an extensive background in marketing, working at some of the biggest tech brands. His two plus decades of experience gives him full cycle view of the customer through acquisition, adoption, and retention. It also allows him to write some pretty specific jokes.
0: Why do mobile marketers make good parents? Why do mobile marketers make good parents? I I don't know. Because they're
1: responsive. Eric is currently the vice president of marketing at Milestone. Their focus is on helping businesses improve their organic performance through search. One of Eric's main strategies is implementing tools users can interact with, though.
0: So, if you look at like a schema ROI calculator, if you look at that on Google, my calculator is going to show up first or second for those. So, I've got a whole bunch of those in resources interactive tools. Today, Eric is
1: joining us to share his proven techniques to maximize engagement and the stack that he's built around that goal. We'll talk about the gated and non-gated content, his lead scoring strategies, and his predictions for the future of content hosting tools, and a whole lot more. All right, let's jump
0: into Eric's interview. I am Eric Newton. I'm the Vice President of Marketing at Milestone Inc., at Milestone, I'm responsible for the full stack of marketing operations, including product marketing, digital distribution, content. I'm the head of research, which is a it's a really interesting and and valuable program that uh, generates a unique and proprietary content that we use for PR and AR and uh, to share with customers and prospects.
1: I like it. You got your hands full. It sounds like you're definitely a busy dude. Now, wait, help me understand a little bit about your background. Like what's the journey that took you from like the start to getting to Milestone?
0: Yeah, sure. I graduated in the, in the late 80s and my mother was a person who was really interested in, in Asia. So an Asia file. And she said, go to China or go to Japan, it's gonna become the Pacific century. So she was kind of Mm. dialed in on that. And I went to study in China and on the way back, I stopped in Japan and I just liked Japan a lot better. So I became a Japan expert. I studied Japanese my final year at UCLA. And then I moved to Japan a couple months after graduation and um, I worked there odd jobs teaching. And then I went to graduate school there and from that, I was able to convert those connections and experience into a job at Dentsu, which was at the time the largest ad agency in the world. And I was helping yeah. them with international customers inbound into the Japan market. I loved advertising. I loved being at Dentsu. Dentsu was sort of like Google. It was sort of like you know Google or Facebook. It was like the hot, hot company to work for. And the people were, they were kind of googly, honestly. They were just really yeah. confident, diverse people, diverse in terms of their skills, let's say. Had a good experience there doing media and, you know, some content for the international customers. And then I figured I wasn't going to stay in Japan for my whole life. And, you know, the sooner I kind of got back to Silicon Valley, the better. So when I came back, you know, it was a little bit hard to break in, in Silicon Valley, but I was able to kind of translate my experience into a job at Netscape. And being at Netscape was, that's an ad-driven model, and I had ad experience, where typically mm. you think of advertising in that era as a soft skill, but there were these hard skills that were involved, which were media buying, media calculation, and so forth. So went from there to Adobe, mp3.com, Netflix, Bright Edge, which is a B2B enterprise SEO product. And yeah. now I'm at Milestone. And I have to say, Milestone's kind of the job I've always wanted. You know, when, you, when you're in marketing, you got to learn dozens of functions. And when you do and you get the right break and the right timing, then you can become effectively the CMO, the division head. And it's really great. So for all of your listeners out there who are in the marketing space, hang in there, push forward, and like become the division head. It's, it's an awesome job. You have you have an amazing background, right? To go from, I mean, Netscape,
1: in my opinion, right, like Netscape is like a Hail Mary company. You were at Adobe, you were at Bright Edge. Bright Edge is a great company as well, um, mp3.com, and now you're at Milestone. What does Milestone
0: do? Help us better understand what you're doing now there. Sure, let me start with what does Milestone do for customers, and Milestone yeah. helps our customers tap into the potential of their latent content. So what do Mm. I mean by latent content? So there was a huge Ahrefs study that found that 90% of the content on the internet has no audience because it doesn't rank Mm. in the first 10 positions of Google. So it becomes dormant. It becomes latent. And if you're on that average, and a lot lot of sites I've checked are around that average, especially if they've been around a while— that you, if you can go from 10% active to 15, that's a 50% improvement in your organic content performance. So we do that by building better websites, better performing websites, and by adding schema markup to the content so that it has better visibility. And then we work on the clickability. Essentially, how are you doing the labels? How are you doing the metadata and the title tags to improve the CTR of the listings that you get? But the key is rich media. FAQs, Mm -hmm. videos, images, how-tos, that Google creates a lot of space for this tier one content. And when you go to the extra effort, video, and what you can do in your podcast, and if you use schema markup on your podcast and chapterize it, Google understands it better, and it can lead people directly to the moment when we're doing the joke or we're talking about latent content, if that's what Mm -hmm. we want, you know, that's where we want people to go, or the question and the answer that they're looking for, Google can now pull that out of a video, too. So, Milestone is an SEO Subject matter expert that builds great websites with great UI and UX. And we've known each other in the community for a couple of years while I was at Bright Edge, and they made the moves yeah. to recruit me. And uh, yeah, it's just, been, it's just been great to be the head of marketing here. A lot of, lot of exposure on webinars and podcasts, and a lot of writing, a lot of content, and just at agency pace. You know, things are happening at high speed, so you get a lot of at bats at whatever you're doing. Eric mentioned something you've
1: probably noticed becoming a lot more common recently. Search has been continuing to evolve with various forms of content. Gone are the days when blog posts were the be all and end all for top ranking search results. A search for something like how to hang a picture will take you to a timestamped section of a YouTube video that shows you exactly how to hang your pictures. You get to skip all the fluff and go to the exact section of the video that's telling you what to do. That's an incredibly valuable feature for users and a great ranking trend for marketers to try. The way Google crawls and indexes content is changing all the time. And in June of 2021, they debuted MUM, which stands for Multitask Unified Model. It's a new technology that immensely improves search's capabilities, and it took over for the previous system, also known as BERT. Here's a clip from Google's launch that explains exactly what MUM is.
2: Let's say you're an avid hiker planning your next adventure. You might ask, I've hiked Mount Adams and now want to hike Mount Fuji next fall. What should I do differently to prepare? This is a question you could casually ask a friend, but search engines today can't answer it directly because it's so conversational and nuanced. Mom is changing the game. With its language understanding capabilities, it would know you're looking to compare two mountains and also understand that prepare could include things like fitness training for the terrain and hiking gear for fall weather. Then, it's able to surface useful insights based on its deep knowledge of the world. Now, a huge limitation of accessing information is the language it's written in. If there are insights about Mount Fuji in Japanese, you might not know they exist if you don't search in Japanese. But MUM can transfer language across multiple languages to give you a richer, More comprehensive answer, but it doesn't stop there. Because mom is multimodal, it can understand different types of information simultaneously. So now imagine taking a photo of your hiking boots and asking, can I use these to hike Mount Fuji? Mom would be able to understand the content of the image and the intent behind your query. Let you know that your hiking boots would just work fine and then point you to a list of recommended gear in a Mount Fuji blog.
1: The language aspect is no doubt going to bring a lot of complexity and ranking competition. Crawling things like video and eventually audio will bring a huge amount of benefit for SEO marketers. One of the ways that Eric continues to stay on top of the game is by updating his stack to reflect these SEO advancements. He puts a lot of emphasis on the techniques that his team uses. One of these techniques is a very thorough approach to schema markup.
0: When you add schema markup, you're giving better definition. It's called disambiguation. If you think about the word Jaguar, Jaguar is an animal, it's a car, it's a football team, and it's probably a bunch of other things. When you make a query to Google, you're asking it a question, and Google wants to give you a clear and accurate answer to that question. And when you add all this metadata, which for us could be 300 to 800 lines of metadata in the background, it gets very much more clear to Google what exactly you're talking about, what exactly the parts and the the pieces are, and it loads all those pieces into the knowledge graph and it makes it more accurate at answering those questions.
1: Eric's evolving strategies are what have helped him continue to see success. But like always, there's more to it than just implementing something and hoping it works. You have to consistently measure things to make sure you're on the right track. Now let's get back to our conversation and find out how he does that. So you're the head of marketing. Your job is to, of course, grow the company. What are the main KPIs that you're measured on, your team is measured on? What are some of the KPIs and goals you have?
0: Leads, leads, and brochures. Everybody wants collateral, right? There's always a need for a better uh, PowerPoint page, a better one-pager, two-pager, five-pager video. Whenever I go to a sales meeting, they always say, hey, this is great. Could I have, thank you, could I have another? You know, could I have one of these and one of those? But, you know little bit of joking aside there, appointments. So if you think about, you know, M-A-L, M-Q-L, S-A-L, S-Q-L. And if you want me to go, if you want me to break that down for the audience, let What's me know. What's it M-A-L? What is that? Marketing accepted leads. So market. it's a okay. raw lead. The other way to think about it is like, hey, marketing got 300 leads. Sales doesn't want to see marketing accepted leads because they're raw. You filter them. Marketing says, hey, we've qualified these. The one 300 became 150. Then you mm-hmm. send it over to sales and sales goes, yeah, we're not calling on that industry. Our products, uh, that's not a pitch I'm going to do. They'll drop the 150 to 75 and they'll say, yeah, we're going to definitely book these appointments and that the SDRs or you book the appointments for them. And those sales qualified leads are, these are good leads. I went to the appointment. They were legit and people get paid out on SQLs. Those, essentially, a demos or appointments is what mm. uh, the next step down the funnel is. Then the pipeline. So if we go to an appointment and uh, the opportunity to build a website and do the schemas and do all the SEO is an $80,000 contract, that's $80,000 a pipe. That is marketing-sourced pipe because the MALs became the pipe. And then... Over time, sales is going to close a percentage of those deals, and that's closed revenue, marketing sourced. That is the primary sourced line of KPIs.
1: So you're trying to drive these leads, you're then trying to create SQLs, and then you've got to generate pipeline. Now, I guess like when you think about it, you had made a comment in
0: regards to like people get paid out on SQLs there, right? So I assume that's the sales team who gets the SQLs. Yeah, the demand, the, the outbound de- demand generators, if they're going to use our leads, if they're going to, if we're going to pass over our leads to them, we're going to do, a, you know, cooperative generation, they're going to get paid when those things get booked and the the people show up for the appointment. That's where mm. it starts to get really real when it's been qualified by multiple people. You know, you've gone and you've talked to the person live and they're ready to talk to and see the demo and see the product that gets to be a good looking pipeline that's got a chance of at least you know 5 10% from that first meeting and then you try to drive that pipeline percentage probably close probability up to 90%. Well what what
1: projects are you working on right now that's that's kind of driving your lead gen or driving your pipeline? What are the big projects you're doing today?
0: Ongoing SEO, I'm mm. personally very involved in the SEO. Um, it's a SEO does require subject matter experts so that could be somebody in the department, it could be an agency, it could be a consultant that you bring in, but somebody has to ride herd on content creation and SEO technique and staying on top of where the opportunities are. And I can share some of those with the audience if we wanna go deeper on SEO. The other big one for us is webinars. Webinars are extremely productive for a couple of reasons, right? We, we bring in people that the salespeople haven't spoken to, we warm them up. A registration yeah. on a lead scoring basis if you're doing a 100-point lead score and 90 is really ready for an appointment, then a webinar registration is pretty good. It's like a 20 for me. And then if they show yeah. up for the webinar, it's like a 40. So you've got something on a 20 to 40 range that you can give over to sales. And sales is like this person knows who Milestone is, they know the topic, they're interested in the topic, which is, and the topics are all related to our products and services. So that helps sales by bringing in leads they haven't spoken to. The other thing it does is leads they are speaking to, they've got something else to say besides would you like to see a demo? Say, hey, would you like to hear my head of marketing? Would you like to hear my founder? Would you like to hear our vision? And would you like to get some data or some research? That's a more of a value touch. So we bring them new leads, they bring us new leads. And that's why we call this like webinar influence. So I I track the webinar the impact of the webinar because it's so substantial on the total number of appointments that we're setting together with sales and another project i i i'm excited about i haven't got as much bump from it as i wanted were our interactive calculators so if you look at like a schema roi calculator if you look at that on google my calculator is going to show up first or second for those so i've got a whole bunch of those in resources interactive tools and I feel like that's a higher lead score. If people are interacting with a calculator and they're going to spend a couple minutes thinking about their data, putting that data in into the calculator, getting a result, I don't force them to give me their email address, but I'm assuming that that's a higher level of engagement. So I'd say that lead score is like, you know, between a download and a webinar. I'd say it's about 20. It's about like a webinar registration for me. And it's less competitive, so you, get, you can get exposure on the Google Serps without. Mm-hmm you know, without being the 30th one to write an article blog on that topic. But interactive calculators are harder to make, so there's not very many of them. This
1: calculator strategy is something that really excited me. We've spoken a lot about the oversaturation of content online. It makes getting your content to stand out incredibly difficult. While Eric has offered some great solutions to ranking, utilizing your schema markup, it might be time to start evolving your content. Outcrow is a marketing tool that specializes in interactive content. Their product enables businesses to build assessments, quizzes, and calculators without a developer. One of their customers, VenturePack, saw social traffic on their website increase by 40% within the first week of launching a free calculator that estimated the cost of building an app. We as well here at Magal.io use their service to build our analytics quiz to help people choose the right analytics tools for their business. You can check that out in the footer of our site at Magal.io. But increasing your search rankings isn't the only reason to use interactive content. Doing so is also a proven strategy to drive more leads. According to Outgrow, in addition to increased traffic, VenturePact also saw lead conversions increase by over 28%. That's just one specific example. Outgrow's data suggests interactive content leads to two times more conversions than static content. Now let's get back to Eric and learn some more. What are the big parts of your stack, right? Because, like, what I want to, I'm going to start asking about is, of course, each one of these tools and, like, what's the stack around them? But, like, when you think about the broader stack, what are the main meaty potato parts? Pardot, Google
0: Analytics, Google Search Console, Milestone CMS, Salesforce. Those are the big pieces. Yeah. So, Pardot is our email automation, it's our marketing automation, and all of our lead forms and our um, lead routing automation. You'd think it would be really easy. It's it's reasonably easy, but I think it'd be even easier since it's same company as Salesforce since they bought it. But like all things you buy, it has legacy. It's not as integrated as I'd like it to be. I've used Marketo. I've used uh, Eloqua in the past at Bright Edge. How Pardock. would you rank Pardot compared to those guys? You know, Eloqua was the most robust. You know, Eloqua was sort of like the true enterprise player there. Marketo was up and down when it was independent, when it be, after it became Adobe and Adobe, you know, those big companies buy them and they put in a lot more engineering resources and they usually fix a lot of the problems. I just thought Eloqua was very robust and you know, it was better after Oracle, uh, a year or two after Oracle bought it than it was when it was independent. Pardot, I get told we can't do that with Pardot more often than I'd like. Hey, can we make this look like this? Can we make this form look better? And they say, no. I'm like, yeah okay, can you get the Out people on the phone? Let's have a, a, a customer service call with them about, I, I want to believe that you're telling me that you're truly limited here, but if I hear it from them, and then what I actually heard from them was, we were on an old fork of the software and we needed yeah. to upgrade. I was like, we need to upgrade. It's, it's SaaS software. Doesn't it upgrade yeah. itself? They're like, no. I'm like, okay. It's a, they said it's a small upgrade. I was like, okay, you know, give us the paper. And it was really expensive. And I was like, this is not going to turn out well for you guys. Like, you're going to charge me money to get current with your software when it's SaaS? Like, mm, that's not what's going to happen. That's not how this is going to work out. You guys are going to give that to me at a really good price.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Pardot. I have a ton of friends who are like big fans of it. But when I used to work at Kissmetrics years ago, we used to say Pardot was built by engineers that hate the internet. Uh, It was not (laughs) designed for the internet. (laughs) And now that you bring up this whole, like they wanted to charge you for an upgrade, it like completely validates my opinion there. Going back to something you were talking about earlier. So one of your major things that you're driving traffic with is SEO, right? Like what's your stack for SEO? I know that Milestone, of course, does the schema, but like is
0: there an hrefs? Is there a BrightEdge? We're not a bright-edge house. Uh, we use a lot of um, best-of-breed tools, Ahrefs, uh, SEMrush, and uh, GSC. There's a, GSC has gotten so much better. That's Google Search Console. That's yeah. gotten so much better over the last four years. There's so much in there that like Google, for whatever reason, Google wasn't providing it, and now they are. That helps us quite a bit. So that's our stack. And then the other part of the stack is the experience. So the CMS, getting a good fast pages and getting the right user experience and navigation, ADA compliance, that kind of stuff is all subcomponents of the algorithm. So it, mm-hmm. it connects not just in the traditional sense of SEO tools, but also site hosting, site experience stuff.
1: And that's milestone that's doing all that for the CMS part.
0: That's right. We are an SEO first CMS. So we built a lot of this stuff in. We built in the schemas, uh, right into, you know, the schemas right into the product and the speed and the caching and the environment that it operates in is conducive. It's SEO friendly. It's SEO smart.
1: Mm. Now you talked about Google Analytics, right? I mean, what's your opinion on this GA4 and the deprecation of Google Analytics Universal next year? Like, do
0: you have any opinions or thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm sad. I really like GA. Um yeah? GA has be, it's, it's become so unbelievably robust and it's a, it's getting back to the free era going back to Netscape and and Google Ads and the, creating just amazing platforms that supersede a whole category of platform providers and it's free and it's been free for all these years. So You should migrate to GA, if the audience doesn't know, GA4 is going to supersede Google Universal Analytics on July 1st, 2023. But you should migrate and get your GA4 populating before July 2022 so that you have one year of year on year data because it's not going to make sense to look at GA4 data and compare it even if you store your G, universal analytics your traditional ga even if you store that you're not going to be able to compare it because the data models changing and i think mm-hmm. google's solving a lot of problems and getting ready for the future you know they bought urchin you know long time ago 15 16 17 years ago yeah and they did a good job with it it's another one of these big companies putting you know incredible resources towards making an industry standard platform great ui but the data model is changing to be event-based, so it's really yep. going to be measuring engagement, which is a good thing for marketers to focus on—not like all clicks and conversions and this and that. But there's that all those sub-steps we were talking about before with like lead scoring with a twenty or a thirty or a forty or fifty. Essentially, GA four is going to do a better job of measuring engagement by all these events, but. It's hard to migrate. We milestone does do GA four migration for um, customers and for non customers on platform, off off CMS. So we can help you with it. I tried to do it myself. It didn't work. And then I sent it over to my my own analytics department. Said, "Migrate me, please." And now I'm populating. I've been populating data for a couple of months, mm-hmm. so I can see what's going on in GA four. Now it's it's interesting. Like one of the things that I I
1: don't think Google is actually going to shut down. GA Universal by July of 2022, right? Like I think that they're trying to get many people to use Google Analytics for, because nobody's really using it. So by putting basically the writing on the wall, they're forcing everybody to start using this product. But GA4, in my opinion, is not fully baked. I think like they still have a while to go. Um, I think they're a little behind the curve uh, because naturally companies like Kissmetrics, right? We were doing event-driven analytics for over 10 years. Do you think they're really going to pull the plug on GA Universal this quickly? Or is it
0: going to be like the cookie apocalypse where they keep shoving the date back? So, I think there's going to be a lot of threatening that Google Analytics will stop populating data on July 1st, 2023. So, starting yeah. July 2022, the warnings Google's going to be firing the shots over the bow, you know, nine months to go. And then I agree with you that GA4 doesn't seem fully baked yet. It's like beta software, yeah. beta two maybe. And there's a whole bunch of features, all the pathing and analysis that I was doing in GA is not there yet. So I'm missing a lot of things. And that's typical for Google, they'll they'll add the features as they get closer to the launch date. And then they'll look at the market and they'll listen to how much we're struggling to get there or not mm-hmm. get there. And then they might slip the date. But I think there's a good chance that not that GA goes away. I think GA will still be there. It just won't have any new data. You'll be able to look, yeah. I think you'll be able to look at old data in GA, but what good is that going to be without new data? Now, you brought up these webinars, right? So what are you yeah. using to run the webinars? I assume you're using Pardot, but... Actually, no Pardot on the webinars. We use Pardot for the other forums, but for webinars, we do Zoom Webinar. You know, everybody's used to Zoom. It's good for when you have external speakers that you don't have a lot of brain damage as they come into the event and, you know, get set up and get speaking. So it's familiar. The features are pretty good. The green room is really hard to use. when you, We use uh, the Zoom webinar for a summit event too. And there's The green room's a little awkward um, for mm-hmm. webinars, but it's there. It's, a little, it's not as robust as uh, some of the platforms were. So it sounds like lead scoring is a huge part of your strategy as well. I'm I'm better at talking about lead scoring than I am at operationalizing it. And the, the, yeah. the problem is there's a lot of people involved. I can figure out this logic and I can assign lead scores. Um, ideally, I'd do a regression. I'd do mathematically, I'd figure out how these activities correlate to future activities like buying milestone products and services. That would be the best way to do the weighting. But in, in lieu of that data, I would just you know guess and assign scores between five and 10 and 20 and 15 and get them up to 90. The problem is that it's not exactly how salespeople think. They think a little bit more like marketers like bulk. They're, they're not combing the data. They're not digging in to see the lead score. So I've tried it a couple of times. I've never got it operationally where I want it. But in a setting like a podcast, it helps me to talk about the lead score, and the increment to which I'm doing my job of warming up the lead and getting the engagement up or helping the velocity of the deal to go through the mid-funnel.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and I like your focus on that. So you're warming up these leads using lead scoring, and you're using a lot of different tactics. I mean, you had mentioned these webinars, I'm assuming that counts in the lead score. You follow up with them after the webinar, counts towards their engagement scores. I mean, what are other, some of the other major things that you're using to increase that score or, or maybe even decrease that score? Do you have any decrements built into this?
0: Yeah, you should, huh? because it, uh, there's a decay on the, the lead score. The activity that's happened decays over time. I don't have a decrement. The increments are really like download. So it's the it's the form fills because you get without GA4, without event really good event tracking, it's not easy to see that somebody has done the interactive calculator when I didn't require them to submit it to the server. Like I, I let them do it on the browser side. One of the things
1: that I think is interesting, though, is like how is your SEO supporting this calculator, right? And are these calculators all homegrown, or are you using a product to help you with your calculators?
0: Yeah, they're all they're all built. We built one of them, and then we kind of modeled one of them. So if you go into Google and you search for Schema ROI Calculator, Speed ROI Calculator, GMB Evaluator, Google My Business Evaluator, so it's calculators and evaluators, and you put in some data that if i was consulting for you i'd look in your ga we'd talk about it i'd collect the data and i'd do some research but if you do that research put it in the calculator and and show it and then i'll show you an answer and i'll give you a scale like you know poor good very good excellent you know you're you're an sme you're an, you're awesome so how does seo support it well all those ones i just told you most of them show up in the first or second position so anybody in the audience or anybody who's thinking about how much should I invest in the speed of my website and what's it going to be worth to me? And the the projection is based on research from Google and Deloitte and our own research on how much improvement you get per 10% improvement in speed. How much do you get in uh, a 1% improvement in speed is a 10% improvement in conversion. There's a lot of return to be had when you've got numbers like that, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, and that's a lot, right? Like, So the calculators... People put in their information, I'm assuming they, they become a lead at that point, and then sales is going to reach out to them.
0: Yeah, so if you do the calculator, after you do the calculator, then it says, uh, talk to sales or you know uh, contact us. So you'd have mm-hmm. to take a further action in order to do that, and then you come inbound as a contact us. If mm-hmm. I change the model to that I will not share the information with you unless you complete the form, then the engagement's going to go down. So that's always the right. trade-off on gated. You know, when you gate really hard, you got the drop offs around 80 or 90% if you put in like five fields, if you require people to do that. So this is like, let a thousand flowers bloom. This is an SEO tactic. And generally with SEO tactics, you don't use a lot of gating. You make the content available. That's why Google's saying, hey, I'm going to refer people to you.
1: To gate or not to gate? That's the question you'll have to ask when considering the engagement on your site. Essentially, gating your content means users can only see it after giving some sort of information in exchange. Ungated, though, means that there's no barriers and it's free to access the content for everybody. When you gate your content, you're likely to generate more leads. This, in turn, leads to more sales and provides you with the analytics and data to attribute your marketing to those sales. But it may also deter people from enjoying your content. Ungated content may bring in fewer leads and therefore fewer attributed sales, but it will have further reach and create more brand recognition, and in turn, should increase your sales. And as Eric mentions, if you don't gate the content, Google thinks you're a more valuable option for the users and may rank you higher. It's a tough line to walk. If you gate the content, you have visibility and tracking into the deals coming from your content, and if you don't gate your content, you won't have that visibility into the deal closing because of the content but you might see a higher return in sales since more people are able to access your content. I was curious to find out what Eric's protocol is for gating, giving his equal interest in SEO and lead generation.
0: Here's what he said. Without the gate, you don't get the lead. So there's, you know, with privacy rules and stuff, there's there's really no other way to find out who the interested party is. So you start with non-gated and then you go to gated. And you engage people on the website. You know, traditional old one is sign up for my email newsletter or sign up for blog alerts or sign up for you know, WhatsApp or sign up for text messages, sign up for offers from me. These are the ways you, you get people. But the first challenge is to get them to your website for them to be aware of your, your domain, for them to be aware of your mm-hmm. URL and your name. And then if they see value, you got to get them to come back. But at some point, you got to get them to tell you who they are. And there's some tricks you can do with like appending data to device ID and stuff. But the hit rate, the coverage rate for me has been really low when I try to do, when I try to like reverse look up people.
1: Now, let's say somebody comes in, they become a lead, right? And then sales is going to reach out to them, right? Like is sales using any type of tools or products to make their kind of email flow easier? What do they have in their stack?
0: Yeah, sales uses Yesware. And Yesware, wow, I think qualif- I haven't heard of that in a while. Yeah. Yesware is in a gray zone, it you know, kind of qualify, it's qualifying you for sending a personal email. Like it's from a person, it's not from the marketing department, it's from the salesperson. Yeah. So it gets around some of the spam restrictions. And our SDRs create campaigns based on stuff we've been doing, or the webinars, or the outreach, or a paper, or the GA4 migration issue and offer. And they'll do outreach using Yesware and then they do tracking and Yesware's integrated into Salesforce and they see that data and they have pretty good engagement rates with that. And um, one of the interesting things... Uh, Dan, is when you know that your salespeople are sending a lot of email, give them a UTM tracker and separate it as a channel in Google because SDR outreach creates very lumpy um, lines. It looks like a bot. You get a big spike because they're sending a campaign that you're not aware of. And it's pretty clicky. It's just a simple personal message with a you know one link in and the people are coming to the website. And if you don't do that correctly, you get a big jump in direct. All of a sudden, direct looks powerful, but direct is not a channel. Direct is a derivative of other channels. And one of those channels is SDR work. So when you put the um, UTM tracker on there, and you build it out as a channel, you'll just see it when you go to Google Analytics then you can exclude it too. As when I look at uh, the marketing mix or the attribution, you know, I'm thinking about an attribution model. I don't really want to put that in because it's episodic, right? It's just, it's lumpy data and it's not programmatic and it's not kind of things I control well. The other thing I recommend to the audience is that you break out local, use a UTM tracker on all your links that you have in Google My Business and break that out as local SEO as opposed to SEO in general. Because the channel is so big, it'll typically be, 35, 40, 45% of your traffic will be SEO. But if you're a location-based business, 30 or 40% of that will be your local traffic. And you can see how incredibly powerful and sticky and engaged your local traffic is. You'll be able to invest more resources in making your GMB better. And you can do Google posts and you can invest in local content and hyper-local. All these things become more compelling when you realize that it's, a quarter of the traffic of the whole website or 20% is coming yeah. from local. But you, you need to use the UTM and then separate that in your analytics.
1: Yeah, and I love UTMs and most naturally you were talking about Urchin earlier, right? Urchin tracking yeah. module for UTM. Yep. So yep. it sounds like you're really, you've been using UTMs pretty well and I, I love the strategy you talked about there.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. Um, it, 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 you end up with about 10 channels instead of the standard five, six.
1: Yeah, gives you a lot more flexibility. Now, when you think about the next 5 or 10 years, right? Like what predictions do you have
0: with the way tools are going to change or where the stack's going to change? What predictions might you have? I think we've passed peak martech. And what I mean yeah. by that is we have more than 10,000 martech companies and if every company has five really killer solutions or features, that's 50,000 features. The ability of the market to comprehend and respond is way less than 100. It's a couple of dozen, two dozen. So there's way too many solutions. So if we've passed peak martech, then I think it's a sign of maturity of the stack of the future it's been made. And people need to think about thinking about something more forward leaning. And that land grab to me is the metaverse that, a two D website has been around for since the Netscape days, since the you know Navigator browser and Mark Andreessen. So a two D website is pretty functional, but it's not very interactive. Three D is kind of a weird category that without VR goggles, three D is not that awesome. But yeah. what about four D? What about the metaverse? What about bringing the networks together? What about bringing the experiences together between your game, your mobile, your app, your desktop website? That. Heading into the metaverse is, you know, what's that experience look like? What are the KPIs? So you and I have been, you know, we're, we're kind of flogging, you know, session-based versus event-based, which are, like you said, decades-old ideas. Yeah. What are the KPIs for a 4D website? Mm-hmm. You know, as a marketer, do you understand them? As a vendor, you know, can you do them and will you do them? And to me, it feels like 1996 again you know, it feels like the old Netscape days and it's a 25-year cycle. The new cycle's beginning. Let's lean into that. Let's lean into a completely immersive, interactive experience that's decentralized and not controlled by the oligarchs of the Web 2.0. I think that's super fascinating. Like I didn't even think about, like I was watching
1: my son play on his Oculus yesterday and I was like, the world's going to be totally different in 10, 20 years from now. It's just going to be totally different. And I think you're, you're spot on with the metaverse and how we're going to perceive websites. I think you're, you're really, really spot on there. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you being able to come join me. I've, I've learned a ton, right? And you've shown some really, really interesting tools and uh, strategies. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Eric had a lot of really great insight into the world of SEO. As someone with such a rich history in the industry, the biggest overall strategy we can gather is to be constantly in tune with what's coming next. That means jumping on advancements in search engine technology and evolving your strategies to get your content to stand out. And for Eric, this means looking to the next big platform, the metaverse. Let's get a bit deeper into some of today's takeaways though. First, there's a lot of content out there. And as Eric told us, about 90% of content doesn't rank in the first 10 positions on Google, and then four becomes latent. So you're going to want to make sure that your meta tagging for your content is as optimized as possible. Eric gave us some good tips on adding a lot of schema markup and focusing on optimizing all of your content from blogs to videos to podcasts with metadata to make sure it gets ranked. Eric has built interactive calculators for search traffic growth and to push people farther down the funnel. Building calculators is definitely a fair amount of effort, but if you want to stand out in the sea of content, the effort is really important Third, when it comes to measuring engagement, particularly where it's coming from, Eric says you need to get more specific. One of the things he recommends is creating unique UTMs for the individual sales rep emails. When the sales team is sending out their big email blast, you now see that they drove the traffic to the site and not just some random spike of direct traffic. UTMs are a little bit of code on your links that allow you to assign attribution. If you don't use UTMs on all of your links, you're missing out on the analytics showing how those sales emails are performing. If you want to get nerdy on UTM tracking and make it easy for sales to add those to their emails, go check out utm.io's Chrome extension. And lastly, be ready for the metaverse. Being early gives you a big advantage when it comes to content. The web is definitely evolving. Eric has seen it before at his time at Netscape. And with that experience, his strategy is to lean into what's next. Since he's managed to stay on top of things through the incredibly fast pace of the internet, I'd say it's safe to follow his lead. That's all for today, though. I hope you took away as much from this conversation as I did. Join me each week on The Stack. And because you're interested in this podcast, naturally, the next step is to get a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit, by visiting buildcoolshit.com. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.